Good morning. You can go ahead and open up your scriptures to Ephesians 4. One of the things that your pastors want to do is model for you that the Word of God is central to our lives. And I did bring my Word of God today, but I also don't need a cluttered podium. So I'm going to set this over here. I've got all the scriptures written out. There's a word in the text today, parakaleo, and it's only mentioned once, but the concept is throughout this scripture. It means to summon or to call other people to your side. That's what I want to try to accomplish in this time together. We're walking together. I want us to call each other to one another's side, to come and walk in this way. The earliest converts to Christ we know were almost all Jewish Christians. They became Christians out of coming out of Judaism. And we know from Acts that one of the earliest titles they took to themselves was people of the way. This is the description found throughout Acts. In fact, when we find Saul of Tarsus going to Damascus, we read these words, but Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Acts 9, 1 and 2. Well, why did the people call themselves the people of the way? And I'm sure there was more than one reason, but I, I want us to consider two. First and foremost, Jesus Christ was their master. He was the way of salvation, the only way. So they were identifying themselves with Christ by calling themselves people of the way. Second, the way of Jesus was to become their way. Because the Savior did not come and simply die as a sacrifice. The scriptures teach us that Jesus' death was to purchase a new humanity for himself. And this new humanity is to conduct itself as Christ lived, a new way, people of that way. A new humanity with a new way of life. As we arrive now in chapter 4 of Ephesians, we've reached a turning point in Paul's writing and in his thought. He's described for us all that we possess and all of our identity that comes to us through faith in Christ. So let's remind ourselves before we dive into Ephesians 4 what he has said. Like Israel, we are chosen. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are set free by redemption. We have been forgiven. We are sealed, which means we are safe and secure. We are belonging to Christ and his rule is over everything. We are brought near, we are fellow, fellow citizens, and we are members of the household of God. That's who we are. That's where we've arrived as we get to Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4 through 6, Paul is going to describe for us how these people, who we are, are to live. He's going to give us the purpose of Christ when he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, Ephesians 2.15. 
I don't believe that anything in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians are optional, but I do believe it describes for us how the people of the way are to conduct themselves. It's a roadmap for the way. As the scriptures inform us, once we are in Christ, we're new creations. The old has been wiped away, and it says, look, for now everything is new. A new humanity living in a new way. So we're going to talk about what is that way. What should look, living for Jesus look like? How can we join with our ancient brothers and sisters to be people of the way? Let's pray together. Father, were it not for the testimony of your word in Ephesians, I would not consider myself, I would not dare to stand here and talk about your word. But Christ, he has saved me, he has purchased me, he has called me, he has filled me with the Spirit, he has sealed me for that day of redemption, and in his name, I come to you and ask that you might join us together this morning as one people your people, that we might do what your word says in Ephesians, that this time together might actually equip the saints for the work of ministry. May you do this to your glory. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let me give you some handles. We're going to uh, tackle Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 in three sections. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, will identify with the word transformation. And we're going to talk about character. Ephesians 4, 7 through 10, we're going to identify as inspiration, and we're going to talk about our hope. And in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we're going to talk about organization and fulfillment and joy in Christ. Character, be who you are. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The household of God, this new humanity of redeemed people, the people of the way, do not conduct themselves in the manner of the world out of which they have come. The new way carries with it a new quality, a new character, a new lifestyle. Why does Paul mention himself as a prisoner? And I don't think that he's just throwing that in there. He's demonstrating in a practical manner that he himself is fully committed to this new way. Paul offers himself as an illustration. The same man who once stood by holding the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen, which was a way of approval, and the man who went to Damascus with the intent to bring back the people of the way in chains is now completely transformed himself in character. He has replaced his threats and murders with words like humility and gentleness and patience and love. Instead of presenting others bound, he now presents himself bound. Why does he use the word calling twice in this first paragraph? 
it's because there are two calls being discussed. The first call is kaleo, and it's the word, the call that was to Lazarus to come out of the grave. It's to call in a loud voice. It's to take a name for yourself. This is what we would call conversion. So Paul is only speaking to one group of people. He is speaking to the group of people who have received the call to come to life in Christ. His words mean nothing to the world, okay? It's only meant for those who are redeemed. No one walks in the way of Christ unless they are filled with the Spirit of Christ and have received the new heart that Jeremiah tells us about in 31 and 33 of his prophet book. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. There's no longer outward commands that we have to obey and behave in a certain way to be God's people. We have been named by Jesus. He has converted our hearts, and he's writing his law on the inside of us. This is the first step to be called people of the way, the miracle of conversion. But the second word that he used for calling is also just as wonderful and beautiful. Walk worthy of your calling. I personally believe that this one phrase, walk worthy of your calling, is what's going to identify everything Paul is going to say in Ephesians 4-6. through This is the central focus of his mind. Walk as the people of the way. Be who you are. The word is klesis, and it's a beautiful word. It means to be invited to a divine invitation. We're invited to a feast. Those who are called to new life are issued an invitation to come and join the God and the, and the Son in a better way. It's a way of enjoyment and in celebration. It's associated with the idea of a feast. Jesus does not save his new humanity and then enslave them. Rather, he calls us brothers and adopted sons, and he desires that we walk with him with meekness and love toward others as we find characteristic of his ministry. And we might see this invitation as the way that Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and called James and John and Peter and Andrew, come and follow me. I'm going to show you a better way. And that way is walked out each day in a feast and a celebration as we sit with him and learn of him and listen to him and become his full disciples. That's the picture of walking worthy of your calling. What is the meaning of the word worthy? It doesn't mean that we earn our place as disciples. The first three chapters of Ephesians tell us that Jesus has already earned that place for us. To walk worthy means to live a life that is fitting and appropriate for a son of God. It means that we're heirs of God and we should consider ourselves that and walk in that way. Whatever is fitting and appropriate for a son and an heir of God to do, that's who we become. How do we recognize then those who are living as heirs of God? You know, there's, uh, this is going to label me as old, okay? But I'm just going to share it with you anyway. <laughs> we watched a lot of football these past few days, right? And one thing I've noticed is that in times past, 
the celebrations of things mostly occurred in the end zone, maybe after a touchdown. But now it seems like we've evolved into this place where every single play that somebody makes, they jump up and beat themselves in the chest and point to others and celebrate as if they won the whole game by doing one thing. This is not the way of believers in Christ. We do not point to ourselves. Listen to the descriptors that, G- that Paul gives us in the new way of Christ, to be people of the way, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with others, eager for unity. These words could all be summed up as having a lowliness of mind. The character of the people of the way is stated this way in Philippians 2, 3-4. through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Perhaps now we can see why the earliest Christians called themselves the people of the way. They were people who had rejected the normal course of the world, the societal norms that attempted to inform them how to live life, how to conduct their family, how to run a marriage, or what the church was to be like. Remember, these Jewish people were very religious. They thought they knew how a church should operate. But they abandoned all those things to pursue a new way, a way associated with lowliness of mind. Not a way that was expressed in ordinances because these things were abolished by our Savior Jesus Christ. We live in a new way with humility. Humility, gentleness, patience, eagerness to maintain the unity. Verses 4 through 6 then emphasize our new allegiance, which is our new citizenship. The only one who should be guiding our way is called Lord. He is Lord of all things. He is Lord of how we live. He is the Lord. We are part of this new humanity by our faith, which is offered to all, but only given to those who accept Christ and believe and trust in Him. And we openly confess our allegiance to Him by baptism. It would be true to say that this baptism spoken of here that the Lord gives us is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we symbolize that we are following Christ by following Him in water baptism. The unity of the Lord reflects the whole unity that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have together as one. When we become people of the way, we enter into the life of the Trinity. And we have the power now to live as the, to, up to the way that He has called us. We affirm our identity and allegiance to this one Lord, one faith, one baptism, who is over all things. A portion of my initial medical training everybody's medical training, was to rotate through all the branches of medicine as a medical student. So I did pediatrics, did OBGYN, and I did psychiatry. This meant that in May of 1987, I went and spent a month studying psychiatry. Um, I was assigned to the acute intake hospital for the state of Mississippi, and this facility received and treated Acutely schizophrenic patients, many of them paranoid schizophrenics. 
Schizophrenia is a very sad and devastating disease because the person afflicted with this loses their grip on reality. I met a man who was arrested for shooting his rifle out across the field because he thought an enemy was coming to invade his home. I met another man who believed himself to be Napoleon. I met another man who thought he was the mayor of the city he lived in and he was working for the CIA. None of these things were true. It was tragic. They were not real. Their perception of reality had become completely erroneous. Everything that they did and how they acted was based on a false perception. When we who are called to walk in a new manner of life refuse to do so, we become spiritual schizophrenics. We become people who have forgotten who we are. And we become operating by the world's standards and not the standard of our Savior in a way that denies the true reality and we've lost our perception of how we should be living. I want to stop right here and use this place as our text to say something I think is very important. If you are here today and you've never placed your trust in Christ, I want to confess to you and recognize that one of the barriers to that may be because you've experienced very, very difficult things from people of the way. Sometimes people of the way can lose their identity and act like the world, act in a very hypocritical manner. But I ask you to avoid two big mistakes as you, if you've experienced that. One, I ask you to please do not apply the failures of one member of a church or a group of members of a church to the church in general. Because if I understand this text right, it's telling us that only the church has the power to overcome the world. That's what this text is telling us. Don't forget that. Second and worse, please do not apply the failures of the people of God to God himself. As faulty as the church and, the pe and its people can sometimes be, there is only one Lord, there is only one faith, and there is only one baptism. Jesus offers himself to you, and I hope that you will accept him. People of the way, my brothers and sisters, let us walk worthy. Let us walk with humble and loving and patient hearts, fully believing that the ways of the world do not help humanity, they hurt humanity. There is no need to make a list of things for us to do or things not to do. That's not what this text is about. Worthy means fitting and appropriate. Let us be the people who are always asking ourselves in each and every interaction and each and every day, what is fitting and appropriate for a member of the new humanity purchased by the blood of Christ out of the world? Let's be who we are. Our second, second section is Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. Hope, follow the victorious king. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things.
that can sound quite a little bit. What is this? What is this talking about? Let's work our way through it, because it's a quite remarkable and beautiful picture of the scriptures that it never calls us to do a task, walk worthy, without giving us the inspiration of how we're supposed to do that and why we should do it. In this section, the apostle is providing for us substantial hope in our walk by speaking of the greatness of our Savior. We walk in the steps of the Lord, the same Lord who is able to do far more abundantly all than we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. What's the power that's at work within us? It's the power of God which we possess through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the power spoken of by Paul in his chapter 1 prayer for us. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. This is supernatural, all-encompassing resurrection power that Paul is saying resides within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not called to walk worthy and to churn it up ourselves. We're not called to walk worthy and figure out how we do it. We're called to walk worthy through the power of Christ that lives in us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us to know that as we seek to walk worthy, we are fully equipped. We are equipped by the one who has already won the victory. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. If we are understanding these words of instruction and exhortation properly, there's no measure to that limit. There's no limit to that gift. You cannot measure it. His sufficiency is perfect. You will be taken home completely. This is what all the images about descending and ascending and a host of captives is intended to tell our weak and afraid hearts. Christ descended. He suffered humiliation. He left heaven and came to earth. But he became the victor over all the powers and authorities everywhere in the universe, the physical and the spiritual world. Christ was then exalted to the highest. He is seated at the right hand and he effectively reigns over all things. So Paul is able to say, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. I want you to hear to the church. The one who is victor over all things was not given to just anybody. He was given to these saints, these redeemed people that he is now called to walk in the way of his people. That's who Christ is given to. He put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church. And he also said, making known to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is our confidence. This is our hope. It is God who is operating and fully in charge of his universe. So when we choose lowliness, when we choose humiliation, when we identify with Jesus, we can be absolutely certain that we will be exalted like him. 
We who are united with Christ, no matter how much humiliation we suffer in this world, will be like our Savior. We are set free from things that hypnotize the world. We don't have to be like this anymore. Listen, we don't have to make it to the top of the heap at our work. That's gone. We don't have to strike back when we are injured. We can trust our Lord to take care of us. We do not have to be favored by whichever political party won the last election. We're not dependent on these things as the people of God. We can suffer loss. We can be persecuted. We can be reviled. We can suffer hostility. We can even suffer opposition from demonic powers and consider ourselves even blessed to be doing so, Matthew 5, 11 through 12, because none of these things have any effect on the people of God. None of these things can separate us from the love of God in Christ, so says Romans chapter 8. It is the measure of Christ's gift that every humiliation is followed by exaltation. And that exaltation is going to be so glorious. It will make all of our trials here seem light and momentary. 2 Corinthians 4.17 This is what it means to be in union with the King of Kings. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lowliness of mind does not imply that we are to be fearful people or anxious people or despairing people. Lowliness of mind is telling us that we can enter into the meek and lowly way of our Lord, fully trusting that in the end, the world cannot take away any of the things that He has earned for us. This is our hope. We have overwhelming, victorious hope in Jesus Christ. So let us walk worthy of such a King. People of the way have a fixed hope, and I love this phrase, the, lot, the end of this life is not an end. It is just the beginning of the beginning. Let's go to section four, three. Fulfillment and joy, serving your purpose. Listen to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does a person who's seeking to walk worthy of their calling find joy and fulfillment? Well, it's not like the world would advise. The world would tell us, see yourself as a victim. Assert your personal rights. Esteem yourself. Make sure that nobody disrespects you. Earn your place in the world. Stand up for yourself. The kingdom of God doesn't operate that way. 
Joy and fulfillment for a believer come through finding and serving your purpose. And Paul makes no mistake about telling us what that purpose is in this scripture. Listen to these words. It says, He gave. Your joy and your purpose, brothers and sisters, is not found inside yourself. It comes to you from outside of yourself. He gave. And then he uses words like to equip, building up the body, the whole body. These are phrases that point us away from ourselves and toward others. These are community words. These are family words, not individual words. People of the way do not love themselves, lose themselves by being lowly. In fact, by being lowly and following the way of Christ is the path to joy and fulfillment, the fullest type of joy and fulfillment. I don't want to wish I don't wish to ignore the fact that there is a hierarchy in this scripture. There is some order here because God is an orderly God and he created order in his universe and he gives order to the church and he gives order to the family. Christ is the cornerstone. Listen up, make no mistake about that. That's a, that's the top of the hierarchy. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. And then come the apostles. The foundation of the church was laid upon the apostles. Who were the apostles? The apostles were men who were gifted with God's authority to speak His word infallibly. That's who the apostles were. These men are gone. They no longer exist for the church. What does exist is the words that those men wrote down and gave to us. The Word of God, which tells us the history of mankind from Genesis to Revelation. So logically following, there is an order that he's talking about here. The order of any church is founded upon those who are gifted to understand and share and teach and preach the Word. His Word is the central qualification for a church to to gather around It's the central thing that we need to know how to be people of the way. And it's the one quality that distinguishes those who are called to be elders, pastors, overseers. Uh, It's telling us that the word is the central thing here. But it is an error, I think, to consider that the main point of this section of the text is about exalting a position or an individual. Because this text is all about how we can walk worthy together as he intends. In the church, we walk worthy by applying the word of God. In verses 13 through 16, Paul uses the word we. His his concern here is corporate, not individual. It is his concern that we all walk and work together in an effort to see that all of us reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What should my goal be for my wife? My goal should be that she become more and more like Jesus, her Lord. What should my goal be for my fellow church members? My goal should be that the word is applied to your life in such a way that you walk worthy of your calling in him and you begin to look more and more and more like what a disciple should look like. Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is what is to consume those who call themselves shepherds of a church. 
How can Chris, how can Mark, how can Bill, meeting together, figure out how do we help our people walk worthy of their calling in Christ? There is nothing more important than that. And it should be the aim of what we do when we come together. So here's the picture from this section. Shepherds use the word to equip the saints. Equip indicates that the job of those gifted for teaching the word is to completely supply what the body is to need to need to do their occupation. How well are you to walk? You're to work, walk by the, the word. Here's what that, can, that means. Here's what the saints are to do. It's right from the text. You're to do the work of ministry. Build up the body. Attain unity. Know the Son of God. Become mature. Be unaffected by false doctrines and the philosophies of men. Speak the truth to one another in love. And function together as a healthy body. This is Paul's description of how we walk worthy as a group of people. A a community of people who have joined ourselves together in a church. This is the way to find joy and fulfillment. No believer... No disciple will ever find joy and fulfillment by being on the sidelines. It's only found by serving others, teaching, instructing, building, maturing, defending, doing. In a proper way of understanding this passage, this is the focus of what our hearts should be doing. We soak up the Word as it is spoken to us, We teach it in our classes, we preach it from our pulpit, and then we obey it. If the word obey seems kind of heavy, then think of it this way. The duty of the shepherd or the teacher is to proclaim God's word in an understandable way. And the duty of the body is to apply that word to walk worthy of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was trying to consider some illustration for this section this past week as I was riding around in my truck, and as I'm tempted to do starting in July, but I definitely do starting in October, I was listening to Christmas music. I know it's sad for some of you, but it's still, it's a godly way, so what can I say? (laughs) Listen to these words out of a Christmas song. It just hit me that this, yes, this this should be applied to this scripture. I got the news today. I heard that you were coming. It took my breath away, and tears filled my eyes. Surely you'd change some things the way that I was living. I hit my knees to pray, so grateful for new life. News is spoken. It's a word that we hear, and it's proclaimed. What is proclaimed is the good news that God has chosen to intervene into the lives of condemned men and women. This brings gratitude, and that gratitude changes the way we conduct ourselves. That's the gospel. We live with new character, we live with true hope, and we live with the joy of fulfilling our purpose in the family of God. I want to end by by talking about our title. I entitled this, The New Ancient way. It's ancient because this is the way God has always intended for his kingdom to operate. 
when he walked with the people in the garden, Adam and Eve, he intended for them to have this way of walking with him. This lowliness, humility, gratitude, thankful for the work that God has given them to do and to enjoy his presence. When he called Abraham out of Ur, he was talking about Abraham being this kind of person. When he chose the nation of Israel to be his, he wanted them to reflect his glory in the world by being people of the way. And when he set up the royal line that was going to lead to the Messiah, he didn't want them to be kings like all the other nations had. He wanted them to be kings who had lowliness of mind, gentleness, patience, humility, so that they served the people that were under their rule. We are to be rejectors of the world way, and we're to walk worthy. It was for this purpose that Jesus lived in this way and gave his word. He was demonstrating to us what it means to walk worthy of our calling. So this is an ancient story, but it's a new story because it has to be retaught to every person who gives their heart to Christ. It has to be rejoined by every church that is planted. And it has to be reiterated and restated with every person who becomes a member of the body of Christ so that they are understanding what, they, what it means to covenant with other people, to be people of the way, and to follow Jesus Christ our Lord. So I challenge you as I challenge my heart through studying through this text. Reject everything the society tells you about what it means to be a human. Because that's not what it means to be a human. Choose to be the next generation of people of the way. And walk worthy. I'm going to pray. What an unbelievable thing it is, God, that you would call anybody to come and be your disciple. And we know, we confess, I confess, I'm not worthy to do so. I bless your name, Father, that you are kind, you are patient, you are understanding. You chose to have lowliness of mind and heart and come and serve. Would you please inspire us to be like you? Thank you for the honor. Let us find our joy and fulfillment in being as close to the image of our, of our Savior as we possibly can. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen.